we're traveling through the seven I am statements of Jesus. Those seven with a predicate. And those listed in John's gospel. Now remember what that means. I am and with a predicate. What is a predicate? A predicate is the part of speech that follows the verb to be, I am, and it identifies something about the I am. I am what? The bread of life. Bread of life is the predicate. It describes what I am is, if you would. So this morning, we're in the I am when Jesus is in John chapter 11 at the funeral of his best friend, Lazarus. And remember, Jesus is a messenger from Mary and Martha have gone to Jesus and the disciples who were a few miles away and have said, Jesus, your best friend, the one whom you love, Lazarus, is dying. He's really sick. Won't you come and help him? Won't you come and help him? And curiously, the word says, because Jesus loved Lazarus. Now, you need to remember this verse. And I don't remember whether it's verse 6 or 7, right in the beginning of John 11. Because Jesus loved Lazarus, he remained there for a couple more days. Now, Tammy, you wouldn't expect to read that that way, would you? Because Jesus loved, because Tammy loved John, she got up immediately and what? Dashed to see where he was to help him. Wouldn't that what you expect? Shane, wouldn't you expect that? But what does it mean? Jesus loved Lazarus, therefore Jesus hung around for a few more days. We have to get this in our souls. I have to get it into my soul. Not just my thought my conscience into my soul. Linda, because Jesus loved Lazarus, he stayed put. Why? Because you see, in order for Jesus to love Lazarus the right way, within the will of God. Get this, get it. If Jesus is to love Lazarus for the real benefit of Lazarus, not just for his temporary need, but for the real need in his life. He has to love him by first hearing the Father's will, loving the Father's will first, and then deciding to follow the Father's will in connection with how to love Lazarus. Do we get that? And so, Charles, what does he do? He hangs around the campfire for two more days, and by the time he gets to the funeral, Lazarus has been four days dead. And he tells Mary and Martha, did I not tell you that what? If you believe, you would see the glory of God. This is how Jesus loved Lazarus, for the sake of the glory of God. And that informs me about my own decisions and my own motives and my own love. And Mary says, well, Jesus, I know Lazarus is going to rise on the last day. I know that, Steve. Lazarus is going to, you know, there's a day coming. And Jesus stops her. He interrupts. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Don't look to days, seasons. Look to me. 
I myself am the fulfillment, the manifestation, the outworking of God's own life in my people. I am the one. And so last week, I think was last week the first week we talked about it, the second, whatever. Today we'll conclude this, and we started last week to talk about some proofs in the Tanakh. What is the Tanakh? The Old Testament scriptures. I use the word Tanakh because it is the way the Jewish people reference it. And so if you ever get to share with a Jewish person about the scriptures, say Tanakh. Don't use the word Old Testament. And so in the Old Testament, we need to prove what Jesus says is correct out of the Old Testament because everything that Jesus said and everything he did is first where? Is first in the Old Testament. If there's anything about the person and work of Jesus that is not first identified to some degree, it's not right. Do we get it? And so... We looked at all that, and then we looked at the proof of how can we know for sure that the historical evidence as we read in the Gospels, remember, is actually correct. How can we discern that? This morning, I want to continue, and I wasn't going to do this, but I really felt this is the way the Lord wanted to end it, and so I said, okay, fine. You know, I worked for a couple of days going another direction, another direction, and the Lord's like, yeah, I told you, just sit there, go ahead and do it, and when you finish trying to do it, then I'm going to tell you what to do. And then say, oh, okay, well, let's do it this way. Have you ever, anybody been like that? Am I the only one? Okay, thank you. So we talked about the historical evidence. And that's absolutely necessarily significant and needful. We need to have that under our belt as the foundation but then there's the personal evidence. So let's talk about that this morning. The historical evidence that we spoke about last week is absolutely necessary. But it is in a way, and I think you'll be okay with me saying that, it is deficient in a way. Because although it tells us historically what happened, the evidence remains outside of us. And we may believe every aspect of the history, every word, every syllable, every comma, everything, and yet have no personal benefit. Correct? So we begin with historical because that's where it begins. But we must then hope that God makes the external historical evidence real internally in me and in you. So how do I know that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, first of all, I know it because the Bible says so. And that is a book that we can depend upon and prove. And we went through some of that last week. But what is the most impacting and significant and revelatory proof that I have that Jesus rose from the dead? What is it? He lives well 
in me. He lives in me. Then we become walking revelators of the greatest event in mankind. Because you see, the cross, each event in Jesus' life is great. But it is a crescendoing activity. He's born great. He lives his life with miracles. Great. He goes to the cross. Great. But all of that is God's persistent movement toward the accomplishment of his original purpose that he will have a people of his own praise. God is bringing back that which he began in Genesis by creating us in the image of God. And so he's moving toward the goal. And so why did Jesus die? To pay for our sin. But why? In order in paying for our sin, he would be buried and then he would be raised up as a man who has triumphant over sin. So that in his resurrection, being ascended into the right hand of the Father, having been given all authority and power, he would send the Holy Spirit to do in us and to make real in me and you what he accomplished at the cross. Amen? God is going somewhere with all of this. And so Jesus died in order to be raised. Jesus was raised in order to ascend. Jesus ascended in order to be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus was crowned King of kings and Lord of lords to be given all authority in heaven and earth. Jesus was given all, as a man, Jesus is given, the Son of God as a man has been given all authority in heaven and earth. Why? In order to send the Holy Spirit. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit in order to birth us into the kingdom of God. We are birthed into the kingdom of God so that we may be forever the children of God in the image of God to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. That's what's going on. So let's talk about some personal proofs. There's a significant scripture we've quoted a hundred times in here from 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And Paul is speaking, and I'm just take part of this conversation, and in whose case, those who are not believers. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not what? Come on, see the what? The light of the gospel. What is the gospel? Of the glory of Christ. Who is Christ? Who is the image of God? So we all came into this world blinded. So when we look at the historical evidence, when people look at the historical evidence of Jesus, and they can say, look, I believe this. I think it really happened. It really happened. I do believe it. That's a wonderful thing. But does that cognitive, mental ascent, is that the only and absolute requirement to become a child of God? No, because that ascent, God must cause to become a solical, in my soul, experience. So that when I'm reading about this event, I'm just not reading about something that happened a couple of thousand years ago. But I'm reading about something that happened a couple of thousand years ago, which now I am experiencing. I am receiving the benefit 
the glory of what happened then, it's also happened in me. Do we get that? What happened to those people have also, has also happened in each one of us who call upon the name of the Lord in truth. So the greatest and most significant testimony that Jesus is alive is certainly pointing to the pages of the New Testament as historical verification, okay? Don't, don't leave that out. So when you're sharing your faith, the gospel, start with historical testimony and talk about that and say, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened. And then say this, and I know it's true. How, Joe? Because it not only happened then in them, but it happened also in me. What happened then in them has also occurred in me. So the question is, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, if this is not true, then what accounts for the drastic, absolute turnaround, revelatory, revolutionary change in people's lives? How many of you can do this? How many of you can raise your hands? And don't be shy. It's okay to raise your hand in this church because we call ourselves a Pentecostal church. So it's okay. How many of you can genuinely say, and if you can, please raise your hand, can genuinely say, my life has been changed because I have experienced Jesus living in me, in me, in me. You see, AJ, he's transformed my life. He's changed me. Basile, has he transformed your life? Are you the same man today as he used to be? I can't hear you. No. Jacob, are you the same? How many of you know that boy, young man, excuse me, back there? That's big Jacob. Are you the same young man today as you were before you were saved? Amen. I can't hear you. No. Look, say it loudly. I like a strong no. Rosa, are you the same lady today as you used to be? I can't hear you. No. Eddie, are you the same man? <laughs> what? No. <laughs> Let's say it. Are we the same people that we used to be? No. no. Don't be afraid of raising your voice. Loud is good sometimes. Jesus at Lazarus' tomb with a loud voice. He didn't say, Lazarus, come forth. This man of God looked into the face of death in the front, in the, at the, in, in the entrance of that tomb, saw the absolute blackness and hopelessness and absolute finality of death. And he gathered in the breath of him, you know, into his lungs, the breath, and he let it out. Lazarus! So that all hell and heaven itself could hear the voice of the Son of God calling forth a man who had been dead back to life again. Amen? Amen. This is a voice of our God. Oh, I know he speaks some softly sometimes, but sometimes God is the loudest person on the block, and thankfully for that. Because I think that you're like I am. Most of us 
would not be doing well today had God raised his voice to us from time to time. Amen? Amen. What accounts for the change? From absolute darkness to light. From death to life. From hopelessness to hope. From confusion to understanding, etc., etc., etc. From sinning, sinning, sinning to walking in righteousness. What has happened to us? Are we people who have just read a Bible story or heard a Bible story? We were in Creases class and Creases teaches Bible stories to the young people, so we heard that, and all of a sudden everything, Gordon, for me changed because I heard a Bible story about Noah. Is that what happened? Or have we been encountered by a man who was dead and who was now alive forever. What accounts for the difference? You see, skeptics may criticize and try to pick apart the history as much as they want. Okay. But, and what they cannot do is pick apart and criticize your personal transformation. They can't do that. Charles, they can't do that. Cody, they can't do that. Kay, they can't, they can't do it. Or to say it in a way that all of us would understand, they can't. They just can't. So let's look at a couple of experiences. We know them all, but I think to remind ourselves of this. And as we look at these, I want you to do this. I don't want you to just to hear a Bible story and some verses. When we read this, Remember yourself. Remember you and what happened in your life. Because one of the things I'm going to do at the end of this series, which will probably be within 16 years. At the end of the series, we'll have another School of the Word breakfast. Please come for that. Please come. But I'm going to ask some of you to be ready to give just a five-minute testimony of how the Holy Spirit has impacted your life in this particular I Am studies, okay? So some of you might be thinking of that. Just a five-minute reading of a testimony. How has God impacted your life during this I am serious. Is that okay? Let's do that. Let's find out what God is doing in the lives of others. So, the Apostle Peter. Well, in general, the disciples. Now, think of these men. When Jesus was crucified, what happened to all these fearless men? Ah! And except for the Apostle John, who was probably too young to know any better, they all fled. Who remain at the cross? One disciple and all the women. The big burly guys. <laughs> and they all left. And the women, frail little women who, you know, they're the ones who had the courage to stay. Amen. Ladies, you may give yourselves a clap. That's right. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene. 
she went out and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive and that they, she had seen him, ah, you're nuts. She came back, remember, to see Peter and John. Now, they, they were curious, but they don't, you know, he's not alive. You're too overwhelmed with emotion. You've seen a ghost. You were confused. You've been deceived. It isn't that everybody jumped up. He's alive. He's alive. And all of a sudden everything. No. They had to be convinced. And the beginning of convincing was certainly a testimony. But the revelation of its truthfulness occurred only as the Holy Spirit made it alive in their hearts as well as their minds. Amen? So on the evening of that first day of the week, this is the evening of the resurrection, I mean the next day, resurrection, Jesus is alive, you know. The evening, first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, they all huddling in the corner. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples overjoyed. But when they saw, when they saw the Lord, so they finally, they see him alive. They see him alive. Now, what about the apostle Peter? You remember the account of the apostle Peter? During the trial of Jesus. Remember Peter. The brave one. The one who's outspoken. The loud mouth. Do you remember him? The one who'd get in your face and really get a hold of you. The one who ain't taking lip from nobody. You remember him? So. Of all the apostles, which one would you expect to be able to stand up in the midst of that crowd and say, hey, you people are wrong? Which one? It would be Peter. I mean, this is the man who is, you know, he's kind of the leader of the group. You know how it is in a group? There's always somebody coming up in leadership. So Jesus is being tried. And as they're sitting around the fire, do you remember the story? Three big soldiers come up to Peter and say, you were with him. Is that what happened? What happened? A little servant girl. I've seen you. You were with Jesus. What? <laughs> Someone else. <laughs> Ooh, no, 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 no. You, you're thinking about somebody else. That was my ugly twin. <laughs> I mean, come on, get the context. And he saw us what? Fear all of a sudden all over him. A few minutes later, what happens again? Wait a minute. Someone else says something to him. A big burly man comes up to him and says something. Who, who is it again? A little female. This is, this is first century Israel. 
Women weren't feared. They weren't revered. Their testimony was... You have a New Orleans accent. That, you, you were with him. You, you know, his accent gave him away. I saw you there. So as a result of all that, what happens? Peter yells and screams and curses and runs out of there. And so by now, on the day of the resurrection, the next day, Peter's cowering in the corner with the rest of the disciples in the upper room, correct? That's the apostle Peter. Now, what happened? What happened? Listen to the apostle Peter several days later from Acts chapter 2, verse 2. On the day of Pentecost, 50 days later. Listen, and when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all gathered in one place. That the men and women in the upper room, about 120. But Peter, remember who Peter is? Do, do you remember? Taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice. What? He's going to make sure you hear me. It's not like, could I have your attention, please? I want to share something with you. He raises his voice. I like these loud mouths. There's something to say about being loud, and there's something to say about being quiet. He raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judah, Judea. Remember, first of all, the Holy Spirit descends. He fills these people with boldness. It's about 9 o'clock in the morning. And then people outside here, what's all that ruckus in that room up there? All these crowds are there. It's like... Mardi Gras Day. You know, there are a lot of people in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. So Peter and the rest of them go outside. Very probably many in that crowd were the same group of people who crucified Jesus. Hmm? And this man who a few days before was jelly. Jelly. He comes forth boldly in front of everybody, stepping forward, looks into the crowd of these people who days before participated in the crucifixion of Jesus, saw them maybe recognize a little girl herself. Who knows? And he says, hey, everybody, hey, let me get your attention. Listen to me. See, he wasn't a polite preacher. There's something about him I like. And he says this, men of Judea and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and give heed. Listen to me. This man, who, what man are we talking about? This man whom you nailed to the cross, that man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the death of agony since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. You did it. How do we account for such a transformation? Was he hallucinating? Did he take some kind of medication? Or had the Holy Spirit caused the reality of Jesus alive again to become the power and presence 
of Jesus in Peter's life. Totally and completely, fundamentally transforming him into the same man who is now a different man. You remember the Apostle Paul? The text is Acts 9, 1 through 6. I'll just read it. I'll tell you about it. Who was the Apostle Paul? Paul, Saul, Paul, yeah, Saul. He was a zealot, a Pharisee. He was a man zealous for the law, for the right kind of teaching of Judaism. And he hated the idea that this man, Jesus, is supposed to be alive again and that he's the Messiah. There ain't no way on earth. This is a heresy, and I'm going to do everything I can to stomp these people out and get them to be thrown in jail, even put to death. And so I have the authority of the high priest. I'm going around, and I'm going to collect these people, and we're going to stomp out this thing. Do you hear who he is? He's not a man who's seeking for Jesus. He's not a man who recognizes his spiritual need. He's not a man. He has issues, but that's not what's happening in him, and it's not what's happening in anybody. Everybody has these things, right? We have to be careful what we're sharing with people and how we identify what God is doing. You have to be careful how you're doing it. He's not seeking for Jesus. Do, do anybody think he's in here? He is really wanting to know Jesus. No. If he could get his hands on Jesus again, if that were possible, he'd kill him. And so he's going from place to place doing what? Looking for believers. From house to house. Gathering those and arresting them and taking them back to Jerusalem. He's going to try to get them to recant. You know what I mean? I don't believe. I don't believe. And if necessary, we'll start killing these people. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to stomp this thing out. Do you remember it? Do you remember the story? Did you see the movie? I mean, do you remember this? John, do you remember that? Yes. So what could happen in the natural? In the natural. What could happen in the natural for Paul to be changed. So, Ron, you hear Paul. Paul's a friend of yours, you know. And you say, Saul, rather, first. Saul, Jesus really is alive. He'd have knocked you out of that chariot or whatever so far. He wouldn't have listened to you. But he really is alive. Bam! You see, the knowledge itself that Jesus was alive is the beginning place for us. But it's an external, informational kind of a thing. It doesn't transform. There, I think, I don't know how many. I would say thousands, but I don't know. But there are many in Christian churches today who would say, we believe Jesus rose from the dead. And when you hear that, Darlene, you assume what? They're saved. Don't do that. Well, doesn't it say if you confess Jesus as Lord and, 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 and in your heart, you know, with your mouth confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Remember Romans 10? And in your heart believe that God has raised him from the dead. But look, there it is. 
in your heart. You can't do it until the Lord transforms your heart from an old stony heart to a living heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. You can't believe that way. So once God transforms your heart and gives you <gasps> that understanding, that revelation, then you can say, he's, he's alive. Anna Maria, he's alive. So Paul knows what the testimony is. All these people, people are telling him, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. Mary, you people are crazy. We're going to get rid of you. Well, what happens? After Paul participates in the stoning of Stephen, remember in chapter 7 of Acts, he holds the cloaks. There was a young man holding their cloaks and what? Affirming and agreeing with this. He may have been the one in charge of all of it. Then we come to Acts chapter 9 because Philip and some of that is in the intervening time. Remember, they stoned Stephen. And what happens? Let me get back to my notes. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's the Christian way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he was traveling, it happened that as he was approaching Nazareth, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Stop there a second. You immediately should think of 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Write it down. Let's keep going. A light from heaven. <laughs> Go back and read 2 Corinthians 4, 6. A light from, and he fell to the ground. It doesn't say he got knocked off his horse. Come on. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Saul has been given the understanding by the Holy Spirit that this is a voice from heaven. This is the voice of God. Some kind of way, God himself is telling Paul, Saul, I'm persecuting. You're persecuting me. So what is, saying? What is, Paul saying? What is Saul saying? Who are you? What's going on? And then the words come out. I am Jesus. Whom you persecute. At that moment, the revelation that that man had ra been raised from the dead, that was a testimony of others, became a personal experience in Paul. I'm Jesus. What happened to Paul? Well, what he did, he slowly began to change his life, and he slowly began to study, and he worked. No. This man was fundamentally, absolutely, from the core of his being, from one side to the other, from top to bottom, was completely revolutionized and rebuilt as a man in Christ. Amen? What caused the change? He heard the story. That didn't do it. But he experienced the story in himself. You see, thems who don't believe, okay, at least need to hear a clear testimony from us. They need to hear what God has done. One more, St. Augustine, St. Augustine. All, all of you have heard of Augustine, St. Augustine. 
the great Christian monk. He was a womanizer. Do you know what I mean by that? Took advantage of women. He was a gambler, a critic of the virtues. In other words, a critic of those things that we love, kindness, goodness. He fathered a son from a mistress before he turned 20. He lived with her for 10 years out of wedlock. And then he dumped her so he could marry a socialite. This was not a nice guy. Sometime in the year 386, Augustine was spending time in Milan. While outdoors, he heard the voice of a child singing a song, pick it up, pick it up, or read it. Then wrecking, realizing that this song might be a command from God. How did he realize it? How did he realize it could be from God? Where did that realization come from, Mary? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit said to Augustine's mind, that may be God. You better go find out. Pick it up. You see, this is God at work. You should see God in this sentence. Don't just say, well, you decided to pick it up. That's not what happened. He is, a, he is in agreement with God's leading here. Command, correct. It, on his part, he decided. In his own mind, he decided. But he wasn't deciding. He was cooperating with. Might be a command from God to open and read the scriptures. He located the Bible and picked it up and opened to Romans 13, 13 to 14. Not in carousing and drunkenness. Oh, that describes it. Not in sexual excess and lust. Not in quarreling or jealousy. Rather, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. When he read this scripture, he felt as if his what? Is it in your notes? It felt as if his what? Heart. Heart, heart was flooded with light. He turned totally from his life of sin. What happened? What changed this man so radically? What was it? The man who died, who was buried, who rose again, was now at that moment taking up residence in this man who was called Augustine, who became absolutely, probably more than any other single thinker, the theological backdrop for taking Paul's message of grace and developing in a way by the leading of the Holy Spirit that today we believe and we very much are taught by him who was taught by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Once again, if you have not experienced and continue to experience, did you get that? If you have not, what? Have not experienced and continue that experience to be continuing to be experienced the resurrection of Jesus as a personal thing in your life, you cannot say you're saved. You may believe all day long the scriptures from a mental aspect. The Pharisees understood them, but their minds were blinded to the light of the revelation of the gospel of Christ. They were blinded. Do you remember that? 
They couldn't see it. They knew the Bible. They knew the Tanakh, the scriptures better than we did. They lived and breathed and ate the, this. But Daniel, they were blinded. Why? The Holy Spirit had not opened their minds, their hearts. If you are sitting here this morning and you cannot give a decent testimony, I don't mean telling somebody, but just before you and God, my life is different. My life is different because that man rose and he rose in me. And that, that, that hasn't happened. Be very concerned. And if you want it to happen, that's God saying, come on, come on, pick it up and read it. Right? Remember? Pick it up and read it. Come on, come on. And Joseph, what you would be doing is agreeing with God. Amen. One of the biggest concerns I have for the youth of the church, not just the youth program, but the kids in the church. They're raised in the testimony that Jesus is alive in Christian homes. And they learn it intellectually. But the concern is, do they know it personally to the transforming of their lives? Amen. Next week, we'll talk about Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you.